I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Chris, how are you? Hey, Matt. Yeah, good, thanks. Where are you just now? Uh, well, I weirdly have decided to dress the colour of my hotel room in Paris. That so wasn't intentional, <laughs> but I, I seem to be merging into the background. Oh, I can see your arms now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a floating head. But I just dashed across at the Eurostar to Paris, and I'm here, um, did a comedy rapid uh, taxi journey through the crazy traffic just to get here in time. Um, but I'm here for the French Open tennis. So build up. Ah. There's a, a me- media day tomorrow, so interviewing some of the players. And then that, um, that that starts. So, yeah, pretty good. And I'm hopping over to Monaco at the weekend on the sleeper train for the Grand Prix. So it sounds it sounds even more ridiculous out loud than it does in my head. But there we go. It's all glamour in your world. Miami for the F1, Roland Garros, then out to Monaco. And, of well, course, wait, wait you know, sitting, doing a Zoom call with, uh, <laughs> with me on Sporting Misadventures. Yeah. But I can see beautiful setting in the background. Uh, well, yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually in, in Zakynthos. I'm in, in Greece just now um, at the Pelagoni Club. And I'm doing some bike rides for some of the guests here this week. It's been amazing weather. Like, just perfect for cycling, 25 degrees. And it's it's a quite a... I think people know Zakynthos is an island, Zante is an island you can go to sort of package holidays and lots of Brits go over there. But the far end of the island is actually completely deserted. There's these beautiful roads, really steep hills, but beautiful roads, no cars, no virtually no one around. Perfect for going for a ride. You go for a ride for two, two and a half hours, you might see four or five cars and that, that whole the whole ride. How in shape do you have to keep then? To, because obviously these people you're riding with aren't former Olympians. But do, you yeah. have to work, do you have to work on that? Yeah, it does help. I, you want to be able to ride and enjoy it yeah, and not and not be absolutely struggling riding. Um, and then people always do want to see if they can beat you up the hills or whatever. So, <laughs> um, not always, but, you know, sometimes. So it's, yeah, I think I, I just enjoy not struggling on the bike. So I try to ride whenever I can. And I, I don't get out that much on, on the roads at home, but I, maybe once a week. But most of the time, it's just done on the indoor bike. It's just, you know, half yeah. an hour here. You can still do a session, half an hour, do an interval session. Um, and then if you've got a nice day and you've got the time, you can go out and ride your bike. But yeah, I love it. I still love riding my bike. It's it's one of these sports you can do when you retire, you know, without having to go flat out and race and compete. Also, I've seen, seen your pictures. They look amazing this week. Some oh. of the scenery is amazing. Yeah, it's full kind of Instagram jealousy yeah. mode. Of, there's one There's one point on Zakynthos. There's like a, a shipwreck that's down this little deserted or a, a beach that you can only get to by boat. And there's a shipwreck that's been there for 30 years. If you Google shipwreck Zakynthos, you'll see what I mean. It's unbelievable. Or you can go to my Instagram page. <laughs> <laughs> like and subscribe. <laughs> Either works fine. So today, Matt, we've got Justin Murhouse coming on the podcast. Now, I've met Justin many times over the years. We met for the first time having a curry uh, with Jason Manford, of all people, um, in Manchester. and. Just a very, very funny man. We'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll get him on the subject of Phoenix Knights, but that's how I first saw him. Um, as young Kenny in Phoenix Knights, he's a 
an award-winning stand-up comic. He's been in Coronation Street. He does a bit of straight acting as well. Um, but yeah, very funny man. And uh, yeah, can't wait to get chatting. Yeah, so for me, it's definitely Phoenix Knights. When I think his name is mentioned and I see him, that's instantly, instantly the, the sort of connection. And I'm sure, I hope he doesn't mind that because we'll we'll be boring him about that, I'm afraid. If he doesn't turn up with the tiger um, face paint on, <laughs> for those that haven't seen Phoenix Knights, that means nothing. But yeah, it's uh, his... If you. Yeah, you, you've got to go and watch Phoenix Nights after this, and if you, we'll, we'll chat about it later on. But yeah, it's it's one of my favourite series from the early two thousands. Just Peter Kay and, and the whole crew, Paddy McGuinness, everybody else, just amazing. Brilliant. Hey, hey, how are you doing? Great. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you very much. Good to see you. It's Good been a while. You. Yes, I have. Uh, I was listening to David O'Doherty's. Ah, okay. And he, I'm not going to be like anything as good as he is. He's like, <laughs> it's not a competition, Justin. It's not a competition. It's always a competition when you're not. <laughs> <laughs> There's no gold medals on offer here. No. Last time I saw you was during the kind of lockdown or p- pandemic period. And it was one of the, um, it was just on a little walkout on, uh, down at Wilmslow, wasn't it? On that, yes, um, near Park Run. Yeah, you were doing part run, weren't you? you yeah, with the kids. Part- partaking sport. Forcing them into it, whilst I was setting a very poor example by not actually doing it myself. No. Uh, so, Matt, have you met Justin before? Have you spoken no, to Justin? Just, no. All we've done is exchange some emails. and Yes. Uh, yeah, very limited, but uh, thank you. And I've also on. exchanged emails with your brother when I was looking ah. for email. I typed in Magendi. <laughs> <laughs> tried to pump me in 2011, but I never made it. <laughs> never say never. No. What does he do now? Uh, so he works for Baby Cow Productions. Right. Uh, yeah, he seems to be yeah, fingers yeah. in a lot of pies. Well, it's uh, funny that the circle completes because I work with Henry Normal. Okay, right. So well, he, he directs my shows, so in the loosest possible sense. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like at taking direction? Um, do you know what? Actually, okay. Yeah, okay. I think I think that's the secret of it, isn't it? Uh, it's a lesson I learned day one on my first ever thing. I um, to, to cut long story short, I'd been a stand up for about a year, not even a year, about six months, and I met Peter K, and I knew he was making this thing. And he said, uh, do you want to, he said, oh yeah. And so I said, oh, can I have an audition? And he went, yes, you can. Cause everyone else has asked for a part. <laughs> That's for an audition. <laughs> I was interested in the process, you know, what it was like. And then it was a case of going, oh, he said the lines. Oh, can you do it that way? So you do it that way. Cause you do it like the way you did it before. And can you do it in between the two of them? And just, it just did what I was told. Mm-hmm. Apparently that's what they were looking for to see <laughs> whether you could take direction. And the rest is history. Yeah, I think it's quite nice, actually, when you do what we do, stand-up, and it's sort of solo. When you work with other people, when you collaborate, it's actually quite an exciting adventure. So yeah. when I do a couple of plays and things like that, to be in a room with other people, it's quite nice to to feel the kind of res- collective responsibility rather than <laughs> a selfish responsibility in some ways. So. But you, you get the sense you guys have a lot of fun as well, like in, in comedians working together. I mean, that we, yeah. we discussed this on your podcast. So your podcast um, was about 30 minutes. No more than forty. No more than forty-five. Yeah. yeah, and I was I was very uh, lucky to be a guest on it a couple of years yeah. ago, um, and we talked about that iconic outtake scene. In fact, Matt and I were talking about this on a previous yeah. podcast, which I watch when I'm feeling a little bit down, <laughs> a, a little bit a little bit glum. I'll go onto YouTube and I'll, and if anybody hasn't seen it, that's listening, go on search for Young Kenny or Phoenix Knights <laughs> Young Kenny um, <laughs> outtakes or bloopers, and it's. <laughs> It's the most wonderful thing because it's it's just the tension 
it's the tension that, that gets, you know, when you've got to get a line yeah. out or a scene done. Um, I mean, obviously I know nothing about it, but from the outside looking in, it's like, let, let's get this job done. And it's, and yeah, it's just, and it, it just gets worse. There's a story <laughs> to it, isn't it? There's sort of like this kind of, like it's me cocking the lines up a couple of times and then it's people not helping me by looking at me and making noises and doing things and, and all sorts. But then there's this collective kind of idea that we're all <laughs> trying to make it. But what, what the most amazing thing about that scene is that it just took so long. We didn't get it done. We had to come in the next day. Honestly. <laughs> no. We weren't working, right? <laughs> For the next day, we did the scene like that. Not a problem. And I could, I could do it for you now. 20 years later, I could do it. I had a boss just like, uh, right. Walkers, right piece of work. We'd all but to go to Christmas too, you know, me and the funeral. I know the words, words, words <laughs> in brain there. And the scene's not even in the show. It's a deleted <laughs> Oh, jeez. Yeah. It's, it's so good. And it's the, it starts off, as you say, a, a bit of fun. Oh, you, you know, you made a mess of this or a mistake, a word here. And then it, it's nothing to do with you, is it? It's just everybody else. I say almost ganging up when you're trying to make I, you laugh. And, and I've been saying it was nothing to do with me. Yeah. <laughs> people are just like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> a little added bonus. This is, this is sort of geekery upon geekery. Now, if you've watched that a lot and you think you've had everything you can have out of it, just watch the two women behind the bar. On Raging. The, yeah. Cause they want to get home. <laughs> it's Friday night. And they're just like, for fuck's sake, it's done. Oh, I have noticed that. Don't worry. That's to me that that's the kind of icing on the cake. It's the, yeah. oh, for goodness sake, it's job done. These amateurs in front, you know, God, what, what are they playing at? But yeah, thank you for that. Cause that's, that is something I, I repeat, repeatedly go back to. They've got those little things to have, aren't they? Where you go looking for them. I've got a few of those. What is, um, is uh, Mr. Bojangles by Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, on a night of a thousand stars and he's wearing his brown jumpsuit with nothing left to the imagination. And it's just perfect. It's just beautiful. <laughs> and the other one I watch a lot is um, uh, it's a tribute to George Harrison, all these guitar heroes, and Prince just takes over. Oh, yeah, and, I remember that one. Yes. Yeah. The world, Prince goes, hang on a minute, I'll show you guitar. <laughs> so just, yeah. And he throws the guitar at the end, you don't know where it goes. <laughs> it's incredible, that, yeah. yeah. I have seen that one. So yeah, it's yeah. Thank you for coming on our show. It's, Thanks for having um, me. Yeah, it's great to see you. And so, I mean, I, I know you're a big Man United fan. So you're obviously a football, a football man. Yeah, I mean, I'm a sport fan. I, I I always say beware of people who say they don't like comedy or they don't like sport. I mean, how can you not like <laughs> either of those two things? But yeah, I, I love sport in general. That I like some sports more than more than others. But I I love watching football. I love obviously. Um, when I was a kid playing football, uh, I love cricket more and more as I get older. I'm getting more and more into my cricket. And because of people like you, Chris, I like cycling now and, and you know, <laughs> track cycling especially. Track cycling has become one of those things like curling, uh, like ice dancing was for my parents, where I think we're all a bit experts now. <laughs> I think we all know a little bit more than we think we know. It's funny, isn't it? When the games come on and you do yeah. start watching stuff that you've never shown or never, not never shown any interest in, but just never seen before. Mm. And and it's usually when there is a chance of a bronze medal for Britain in some random sport like track cycling or whatever. That, yeah. And then you become an expert and you learn all about it. And, you know, you know, it's, yeah. I remember as a kid watching the Bulls and the Commonwealth Games, you know, yeah. being transfixed age 10, watching, yeah, watching that. lawn bowls. Well, my so, love of sport comes from from family, really. My um, my my family are crown green bowlers. No. Yeah. So they really. Yeah. So my uncle, uh, he he was called the Mighty Atom, 
and uh, Tommy Hayes, and he was like this brilliant uh, crown green bowler. And he it, Waterloo in Blackpool, where they play, it's a big, it's a big old thing like that. And they were all into it, like that side of the family. So I used to, it was kind of a very working class kind of sport where they would, they would, they would gamble on it. They'd have these sort of like invitationals on a Sunday afternoon in the pub, and they'd have bookmakers on course. No, really? Yeah, yeah. It's like this is this sort of thing. Ah, so I like you- that. I like like Shelley cricket as well. When I was a kid, I used to just spend hours just watching cricket. You know, there was loads of teams near where we lived. And then football was the main thing. I like, I watched tennis with my other half. We like, we watched the tennis. Um, I love the Tour de France every year. That's like my thing that I look forward to. I put a map on the wall. I oh, get yes. Bands out, I get the books. I follow it on my apps and that sort of thing. And I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a big occasion guy now. Do you know what I mean? It's funny you should say that I love Man United. I'm a massive Man United fan. I'm going, I'm going less and less into football. Really? Yeah, I'm not enjoying it as much as I used to. Is that is that because of saturation? There's just too much of it, or? Well, you could say, is it that, or could you say it's because my team haven't been doing so well for the <laughs> That's fair enough. But, but I'm of the age where I went when they were winning nothing. We won the cup every now and then, mm-hmm. and but we weren't the serial champions we were in the nineties. I just, I think it's toxic. I think football's toxic. I think it's, I think it's deeply, deeply damaged. I think it's corrupt and I think it's, it, there's no fun in it. There's anger in it. There's just so much. I'm embarrassed when I go to football matches now with people my age behaving like lunatics. Hmm. A bit in my show about it, how grown men are threatening other men through the, through the medium of show tunes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I find it's... it all, the, 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 the banality of it and the sort of puerile nature of grown men normally, it's normally men, pathetic and and the anger around it and the fact that you can't sit next to somebody who supports another team it's ridiculous that isn't it well it is and i think you look at um like the women's football and how mm. that's showing how it can be done and you know the, the lioness is going to the european championship final and it it feeling when i wasn't there but the people i've spoken to that were there saying it feels like any other sport where you can mingle with other other supporters Mm -hmm. you can enjoy the spectacle there's it's not a a threatening environment Mm -hmm. i mean i i know that not all football matches are like that but it's yeah i I mean i i I kind of fell out of love with football when i was 10 years old mainly due to the team that i supported having an absolute mayor and losing what was a a definite certifiable double they were on for league and cup well, thro- I think throwing uh, both away, and I was just scarred as a child. But you know, aside from that, was that 1986? Was that by the? It chance? was. Yeah. <laughs> Hearts. Hearts. I know. Yeah, I'm a Celtic. Oh, fan. you're not a Celtic fan. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'll never forget. Right, sitting in front of the radio, listening to the. So Hearts were playing Dundee. Yeah, Celtic, Celtic were playing St. Mirren. Mirren. That's yep. it. And as long as I think it was Celtic had to not win by more than three. And, and Hearts five, had to not five one, yeah, and <laughs> and Hearts lost two 0 to Dundee, who were like way down the league. They were they weren't even a threat, you know, mid season when Hearts were yeah. winning every single game, and it was, I think, as a kid, you don't really understand life yet. You know, life no. life should be fair to a ten year old. You think this this is just not right, and then I can I didn't get over that, but you know that passed, and I was just like devastated. But I thought, well, we're going to win the cup final. I mean, we've got Aberdeen, we're bound to win that, and of course they went to the cup final. And lost three <laughs> nil, yeah. and that was it. I was just like, "Well, this is a stupid sport. I'm not going to support this anymore." <laughs> it's funny, you know. That year, 1986, was my final year in in high school, 
And uh, quite a lot, because at the time, it was like Man United fans were Celtic fans as well. There was a kind of this kind of connection that we had. But in our school, we had one Hearts fan. <laughs> really? <laughs> he was really? A and he had this sort of burgundy hat on. Like, yeah, that's he right. Had, he used to wear all Maroon. Maroon, yeah. And he's mm. like, why are you a Hearts fan? He went, I just think I like the, the kit. <laughs> 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 I remember when we lost the, uh, so I was similar age to you when we lost uh, against Southampton in 76. We, we Manchester United got beat in the cup final by Southampton and it was a famous victory. And yeah. I don't really know that much, but I remember 79 when Arsenal beat Man United 3-2. 2-0 up, we came back to 2-all and Alan Allen Sunderland scores that very famous goal. And um, I, I was so upset about that that I went to school the next day and I'd really, my mind's eye of it, you know, you remember stuff, was just the news highlights. You know, at the end it went, and finally in the cup final today, so I saw it again. I'd watched the match with my dad and that. But and in the cup final today, this extraordinary thing happened, and it showed United scoring. Hey! Then the next thing you see is a goal kick from the Arsenal goalkeeper and Sunderland putting it past Gary Bailey. So in my head, I'm thinking, hang on a minute. They've not retaken the centre kick. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to convince everybody in, in, in my sphere that the, this is wrong. And like, what kind of and that, I'll tell you this, and maybe this is, might be not fun about it, that's only my second most embarrassing football story. My most embarrassing football story, I was 22, 23. And we all do the long list on a Saturday when we were kids in the bookies. You go to bookies and you get the, the, the coupon and you pick out so many home wins and draws. You put a pound on and you might win 300 quid. You never win. Nobody ever wins, but it's a bit of fun. So one week, I am so close. I have all my results have come in and I'm waiting for the Scottish results on the video printer. And I say to the entire pub, God damn Patrick Thistle. <laughs> and the whole pub went, who? And I'm like, Patrick Thistle. I've never, never been to Patrick. I've never heard of him. I'll <laughs> oh, we'll let you off. We'll let Thank you off. Yeah, it's it's a funny old sport, and it's just it seems to dominate everything as well. I think it's because it's everywhere, mm -hmm. um, and you can't you can't avoid it. It's it's the celebrity status of the players. It's it's everything, and I, you know I, I get it. It's um, I guess there's a bit of jealousy from other sports too. They want a, a piece of the pie. They want to get that yeah. sort of attention too. But but no, it's. it's not, um, I, don't, I mean, I think it's. I think when you go lower down the leagues and and that community spirit thing, mm. because football was born out of communities, and when it's like that, it's great. Yeah. Part of me, and this is obviously grass is always greener and, and I should be thankful for what I've got. There's part of me that thinks, I wish I would, I'd grown up in, you know, Gillingham. I've just been a Gillingham fan and I'd never experienced the, the, the good stuff. And then I just enjoy my football. And I suppose I replace that now with going, I like going to cricket and, and I enjoy, I enjoy spending a day at the cricket with my friends. For me, and I described this once to somebody, it's not about the winning and the losing. It's about going to the match with your mates and have some fun and and they're talking about it during the week. And there's a moment in football, I think, and it's a tiny second where after the strikers hit the ball and just before it hits the back of the net, that moment where you know they're going to score, but you can't confirm it. That gap in everybody's conscience. And it's just that, it's not an, an actual sound, but a silence of, of a moment. And then the explosion and that relief is great. And I've been losing that. So when we've mm. scored, I've just gone, mm. and when we lose, I say to myself, conversely, well, it's nothing I did. So when they win, why am I taking credit for it? <laughs> I took a year out of football once. I had a full year of 
a sabbatical. It was the year Manchester City won the league for the first time. Not that's just coincidence, but and I just <laughs> it was a palate cleanser, and I felt better for a few years afterwards. And I, I don't know. I, I, I feel it, it upsets me a little bit because I do love it and I've, I've enjoyed it with my kids and things like that. And it just I'm not enjoying it as much as I used to. How, how did it feel when you were playing young Kenny in Phoenix Knights and you had to wear a, a Man City top? Mm. Was that was that tough? <laughs> no, no, because that no. was the choice. So they said to me, they said, look, you're going to be wearing a football shirt. Uh, in one episode, we've got all the, the little people who were in the episode. They're all going to be wearing Bolton shirts because they walk in going, we're Bolton, we're Barmy, you know. So you're not going to be a Bolton fan. Who do you support? And I said, Man United. And they said, all right, we'll get you United shirt. And I went, nah, this character's an absolute idiot. <laughs> 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 I went, he's going to be a City fan. He's an absolute douchebag. <laughs> so um, so I, I picked City. And then since then, people have asked me constantly, oh, why did you have that? And, I, and people go, you're a blue, you are. And I go, no, they go, well, you are. And I say, well, you know, Doctor Who hasn't got two hearts. You know, Neil <laughs> It's called it. acting. Yeah, it's, not, it's not real. Yeah. But I don't wear football shirts. I, I talk about this in my stand-up show at the minute. I, I think if you're an adult and you're wearing a football shirt, you should have to sign some kind of register. Because <laughs> you're trying to convince. Like, no one's fooled, are they? No one's there in the ASDA going, don't look there. Kevin De Bruyne's by the chips. You know, <laughs> it's strange. If you're not playing football, you shouldn't be... Nobody walks around in cycling gear, do they? That's just well, like... Yeah, well, I do, you know. I, but, uh, but you're, you're, you're allowed, <laughs> no. you know what I mean? I think you're allowed. No, I'm only kidding, I don't really. But, well, you get, I don't know, it's... Yeah, it, it's we've seen it in cycling. It, it's funny because it, it never used to happen. And then no. with the advent of you know success in British cycling and the Tour de France and the Olympics, you would see people wearing their team that they were following. So Team Sky or Telecom or whoever the team was, they would, they would you know, be proudly walking around and it, it is a bit like the football strip notion of... Um, you know, Let's be think- honest, though. Let's be honest, though, Chris. Guys like me are not wearing cycling shirts. Well, you know, it's cycling shirt. Cycling is for everybody. Come yeah, on. Yeah, right. it's, it's for everyone. And, and so it's-, it's Lycra, but it's not something you'd wear down the pub. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe not. It depends what pubs you're going to, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. I'm not <laughs> joking this show. Oh, I just, I'm just doing my show for you, basically. <laughs> <laughs> my show saying if you get to your 50s and you're wearing Lycra for the first time, that's a big decision. <laughs> you're wearing shorts and it makes your genitalia look disgruntled <laughs> it's, it's funny I think it's because cycling has happened the interest in cycling really took off over the space of two or three years and I think people felt the need that they had to wear well that's cycling so I need to buy a bike that costs two or yeah. three thousand pounds it's got to be carbon fibre I've got to buy all the kit when in reality, you look at countries like the Netherlands, like Denmark, like Germany, people just use bikes to get yeah. around or to you, keep fit or to have remember fun. Remember the first sentence I ever said to you, Chris? I can't remember. I was sitting next to you in having a curry. In a curry, after yeah. After Jason Manford's um, show. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what happened. So, so Jason says, oh, it's the end of the tour. We're having a bit of a curry in Charlton. A few people are coming. I've got a surprise for you. So I said, all right. So when I get there, he goes, look, I've sat you next to Chris. Oi. He knows that I'm a big cycling fan and I was a bit like, and I was a bit tongue-tied, mate, because even though you're a lovely guy, you don't know this. And it's good that you don't know this. You're a very, very impressive, charismatic man. You're, you know, oh, you, well, no, when you need something like, you are, you are. When you, you, got, you, you got my email then, all the scripts. Yeah, <laughs> you're a big deal. You know, so when you meet a big deal and you do the job that I do, you feel like, don't take the piss. Don't try and make a joke out of him. Use that thing that 
normal human beings have got, which is called empathy and try and be empathetic and talk about it. So I sit down and I go, hi, hi, Chris. I'm just in. He goes, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Chris. I, I said, I'm a comedian. He goes, oh, I'm a cyclist. <laughs> and then the best thing I said was, I've just bought a bike. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I, I don't think. See, to me, that is a perfectly reasonable. So I, you know what? And you didn't know this, but I was, a, I am a massive Phoenix Knights fan. And when I saw you, I was saying to my wife, Oh my God, it's, it's young Kenny from, from Phoenix Knights. And it was, I, I think Jason knew that. I think that's probably why. Right. Everyone sit next to Chris and you sit next to Justin. Oh, that's was, nice, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got no idea how many times we watched Phoenix Knights on training camps. And, and it was in the days when you had to choose your DVDs before you went away. We didn't have access to Netflix and stuff, you know, early 2000. Yeah. So you have your little pack and you have yeah. your CDs for music and you have your DVDs for watching videos. And we would sit around and watch Phoenix Nights on repeat. Oh, that's and great. Again and again and again. And it, it's funny how it becomes part of your language, part of your vocabulary, all the little sayings, the little, and the mm. sort of stuff that you must get absolutely sick of, people repeating lines to you. But for us, it was it was what kind of gets you through. And it also bonds the team because we all enjoy the humor together. So it's, and when I watch Phoenix Nights or other comedies that I watched back then, now, it brings back the memories of that time and that era yeah. and it's, it's wonderful. But yeah, I was, I was excited to meet you too. So I probably said yeah, to him, oh. I probably tried to give you a, tell him a joke. Tell him <laughs> a joke. Use <laughs> that on your show, Justin. There, use that on your show. I never get bugged when people always say that, when they say, you know, do you ever get sick of talking about it? And I'm like, absolutely not. Because if it wasn't for Phoenix Nights, I probably wouldn't have had the start I've had and been able to have the chances that I've had. I, when I've worked in local radio a lot and you interview somebody who's doing run for your wife at the Buxton Playhouse or something. And they used to be in Corrie for 25 years. And they'll come on before they go, I'm not talking about Coronation Street. And you think, why do you think you're on here? <laughs> no one cares what you think about the world today. We want to know what it was like working with Alma. That's what we want to know. But you, you two were a sporting duo briefly, weren't you? Out of the Rio Olympics of sorts. Ah, uh, yes. Didn't you do? Because I don't, I don't, this curry night, is that many years before Rio moment or are we in a similar that, time yeah. span? Yeah, yeah good good that. research. Well, yeah. yeah, good knowledge there, Matt. Um, yeah, 2016 in, in Rio. So that must have been a couple of years. Must have been a few years before that, actually. Yeah. I've uh, yeah, been very, very lucky to go to two Olympics. Some of the Chris and I uh, have in common with both regular Olympics participants. <laughs> uh, but I was very lucky to go twice. I went to Rio and then I went to Tokyo, although it wasn't the same. Um, it wasn't the same experience, obviously. But... Um, I worked for a sponsor. We could talk about it, can't we? It was DFS. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, we worked for DFS and we we played some, it's just those pinch yourself moments, you know, where, where where you just think, I'm sat on top of a roof. I'm playing flipping cards with Chris Hoy. I mean, <laughs> when I don't mean flipping, I'm not being like swearing. <laughs> Underneath Christ the Redeemer, I'm thinking, this is unbelievable, isn't it? <laughs> People took that game really seriously. They took that oh game. yeah. Well, you're playing with Olympians, aren't you? So it's yeah. it kind of they come in. First of all, you come in and you go right. Where's the leaderboard? Right. <laughs> Let's see who's who's up there. Then right. Adam Peaty's done this. Okay. Um. You know Rebecca Allenton, whoever it is. You know you're looking at the names. Right. I've got to beat them. And it's yeah. So basically, the game was it was beer mats, and we were flipping beer mats and catching them, yep. and seeing how many you know starting at X number and building up. I think that if you failed three times at one. Yeah, you were One out. One number, yeah. you were out. And it, so you had, you, had, you had a strategy, you had to... No, I, remember, in, I remember watching it, but I can't remember. There were a couple of people who were exceptional at it. Well, I, I've totally Max forgotten Whitlock. who that is. 
Right. That, that was it. It was Max, yes, Max Whitlock, it. wasn't it? Yeah. Max Whitlock practiced, and what he did was he got his coach, Scott, to video him. No. And then watched it back in slow mo. <laughs> he had a video analyst. And yeah, these gymnasters. They're clever, they aren't they? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. I thought he'd get a sofa the... out of it. Yeah. You know, yeah, get a true. sofa um, That's for free or something. I think, yeah, Chris got, I think Chris might have got a good deal on a sofa. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it was fun. And it, as, you, as you say, it is bizarre how your life can lead to these moments. And, you know, that was an incredible venue they had. It, it was the Team GB house. It, yes. had, as you say, Christ the Redeemer up on the hill. It was, it, and it was my first Olympics not um, taking part. So it was, it was just a completely different perspective, different experience to be on the other side of the fence, enjoying all the stuff that was on there on offer. And Did you enjoy yeah. it, Chris, though? Because I, I've often, when people like, and I know when I've listened to the pod before, you spoke to comedians, I know you're a big fan of the Fringe, the Edinburgh Fringe. Mm. People say to me, because I'm not doing the Fringe this year, they'll say, are you are you going up to the Fringe? And I say, well, I might go for a couple of days. But you really feel like that the, the football captain that's broke his leg at the cup final, you feel like you shouldn't. Did you feel a bit of a fraud being there in some ways? Yeah. Well, first time was the worst at the Commonwealth Games in 2014. So it was only a year after I retired. And it was it was the one that was kind of um, a possibility. Like it was the one, I, I knew that I wouldn't make it four more years to Rio. Mm-hmm. I would have been I would have been forty in Rio, and it's you know it would have just been asking too much. Even London, I was thirty six in London. That was the oldest that anyone's won a, a gold medal in track sprinting. That you know that normally you peak in your mid to late twenties. So it was having that home home Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, and they built a track and they named it after me, and it was oh. it was just like you know what are you doing? We built a track for you. You can't you can't retire. Right? Oh. I didn't want to turn up and just make up the number. I, you know, I wanted to, if I was going to go, I wanted to be, you can't say I'm going to go to win a gold medal because you don't know what everyone else is going to be like. But I wanted to no. be there at a certain level that would be representative of, of the past, of you know what I'd done in the past. So I thought, I'll, I'll start training for it. And I did. So I had a break after, um, after London, got back into training, went out to Australia, and it was just like my body kind of waved a white flag and was, you know, mm. picking up injuries, couldn't recover from sessions. And it was just like, do you know what? I'd rather I'd rather finish on top and have the choice to do that than than carry on for that one season too long. And then it's choose your own goodbye. Yeah, exactly. So so it was tough in Glasgow. I remember turning up and I was on with Claire, Claire Balding on the outside of the track with a little makeshift studio. Yeah. And you come in. And I hadn't really thought about it until that moment. And I looked down and I saw all my teammates, my old teammates in the track centre warming up. And I had this sudden rush of adrenaline, this split second feeling of, oh God, where's my bike? You know, I need to get yeah. down there. It, you know, we're, we're warming up. And then you're like, no, you're not part of this anymore. And it, it was, it's it's hard. It really is hard because you know. In you the velodrome be- named after you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's never happened to anybody else. Were you, were you Sir Chris by then or just Chris? Yeah, I was. Yeah, it was 2009. I got nice. So, yeah. They it the Chris Hoy Velodrome, then they've can you imagine the contractors having to yeah, oh, get an S on it. <laughs> but you know what? At, at those games, at the Commonwealth Games, I got there and it was that night, and we were we had, had other things to do to film sort of pieces and little little video clips beforehand. And we were arriving, not late, but we were time was tight to get in, to get <laughs> everything done and to get set up for a live broadcast. And there's an entrance that your pass allows you to come in on, and there's a kind of a, a quick way to get in. And we yeah. got tried to get in the quick way, and the, the, they're like, "No, so let's see your pass. No, you don't have access this way." And I was like, "Okay, no problem." And 
and uh, basically stopped us going in that way. And we went round. But there was a someone from Five Live, I think, one of the BBC people was with me, and they'd spotted this. Yeah. And then they wrote a little story saying Chris Oy's been um, you know, refu- refused Oye. entry in, in you know <laughs> into his own velodrome. And it, it made a, a quite a lot of you know co- you know a sort of a humorous little article. But the thing was the the, the girl on the door who refused entry. They're like, we've got to find out who it is, and we've got to name. And she, I was like, what are you doing? No, she's doing, job. doing her job exactly. And yeah. it was, and I was very quick to sort of come in and say, don't start a witch hunt for goodness' sake. She's you know because yeah. all that happens is you let someone in that that hasn't got the right pass, yeah, and then it comes. But who let you in? This person here. You know, and they get in that's trouble. That's the worst story, isn't it? It's the, it's the, yeah. That's the, the thing, isn't it? Never say, never ask, do you know who I am? Because if you don't... <laughs> yeah, you don't want the answer. Have you seen that clip of uh, Paul McCartney at the uh, Oscars? After the Oscars, and he's going round, he's like the vanity no. pair, uh, party, but he's walking <laughs> in with somebody, and then they go, sorry, it's just VIPs. <laughs> and Paul McCartney goes, all right, fair enough. He goes, how, how VIP have you got to be? <laughs> I'm Paul McCartney. Oh my <laughs> he god! Wasn't doing it. He wasn't doing that to them. He no, 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 no. To his friends, going, "This is funny." I mean, wow! I never thought I got turned away for not being a VIP when you're Paul McCartney. The same Ro- Roger Federer was saying when at his retirement tournament that he'd rocked up at Wimbledon when he was recovering and uh, just wanted to have a look, and security wouldn't let him in, and he didn't want to pull the. Hey, yeah. But I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the big dog. I'm Roger Federer. <laughs> <laughs> thankfully, I think someone else. Um, recognise them and save the embarrassment for everybody. Um, I mean, it's not on the same scale, of course, and none of my stories ever will be when you get <laughs> Roger Federer and <laughs> Sir Chris Hoy. But I've been a comedian for 22, 23 years, and this thing has never left me yet. If you arrive at a venue, for instance, the Comedy Store in London, which there's only one door in, it's the same door that everybody goes in, there's a big queue outside. There's still part of me that finds it very awkward to go to the bouncers and go, I'm actually on. It's, it's just such a weird kind of thing. That's my big face on the uh, on the banner up there. Yeah, it's such a weird kind of uh, thing that to, to to do. I mean, maybe that's the way you're brought up, I suppose. Or yeah, some people don't, some people have that confidence, and some people don't have that confidence. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. For me, that that first time going to the Commonwealth Games, and then Rio by Rio, I was starting to get around the the, mm-hmm. the notion that you're you're retired now and your life is moving on. But you still, it, it now feels like a different lifetime. Yeah, your life moves on. You have new 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 goals, new things to do. Um, Family again, starts, and you start yeah. eating, and you start enjoying oh, life. And- yeah. Well, that, we've got another thing coming up. We are 
your daughter was was prematurely born. My firstborn, Callie, yep. was eleven weeks early as well. Yes, um, so she was eleven weeks early, and she's now eighteen. Wow, she's about to. Well, what about this for full full circle for this conversation? She's eighteen, and she's in the midst of doing her A levels. And fingers crossed, all going well. In September, October, she'll be off to Glasgow. Oh, oh really? Yeah, she's Glasgow. Going to- He's going to University Amazing. of Glasgow. Yes, to do theatre studies and, and classics. Fantastic. Oh. Yeah, it's. I bet you, when you look back now, oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, you went, how tiny they are when they're born prematurely. I mean, mm. you know, a couple of pounds, whatever, and they're just like these, the frailest, tiny little things. Yeah. And you, you just can't, and tiny, at that moment, you can't imagine that they're ever going to be no. grown adults doing their own thing and everything working out. I remember speaking to you and, and your missus at the time and, and saying, you know, there will be this moment where you're staring at them in the incubator and uh, they look at like the back of the telly, don't they? There's all the wires everywhere. And, <laughs> yeah. and staring at them in the incubator yeah. and you think, if you get through this, I swear to God, whoever you are up there, I'll never shout at you. I'll never shout. <laughs> <laughs> and that goes straight out the window. Oh, God, yeah. You're absolutely right. And you know what? You were, it was such a, a comfort to speak to you and to speak to other people who, you don't realize until you have a premature child how many other families have gone yeah. through it and how many other people you know were born prematurely. So to, to speak to people you knew and no one can give you a guarantee and say that it's going to be oh. fine because they can't do that. But to know that actually it, it happens every single day, you know, every year, I think in the UK, it's 60,000 families or 60,000 babies are born prematurely. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a lot. And sometimes, you know, my mum said to me, she went, oh, she's Isabel's my daughter. Oh, she just couldn't. She just couldn't wait to meet us, Isabel. She just oh. couldn't wait to meet us. <laughs> I was going. No, Catherine had a water infection. That's the actual reason. <laughs> Can I ask, guys? Excuse my ignorance, because my boys were both born. You know, they were five weeks early, so not, not nothing like that. But how long was that process from them being born to then being okay? Like, like how long? Or does that is it? Did it well, for our, both of you? In our case, yeah. Um, in our case, it was exactly um, as they said. They said after eighteen months. There's no difference, you know, but they're always 11 weeks behind. So when they're 11 weeks old, they're really a newborn. Mm. So when they're 22 weeks old, they're 11 week old baby. So it takes a little while until they're about 18 months. Um, and she, and Isabel had a, one or two other little different health complications as well. But I, I think it made, made us not appreciate her more. That's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that to my son who may be listening. I think, <laughs> yeah, we took you for granted, son. Yeah. I think you have uh, you have a bit like when you were talking about when you watch comedies and it takes you back to that time. For me, it was the ah, uh, do you know what? I'm almost producing this show on the hoof. Uh it was watching the 2005 Ashes, which was the yeah. the memory that I have that that night and all those things, those memories that are formed and bonded, it's it, it it makes the birth a longer time. Mm-hmm. So for most people, like your boys, you'll remember the labor. It might be a 24 hours in labor and then a couple of days in hospital or whatever. But for us, it was for, for us, the birthing thing was 11 weeks. And she came out of hospital literally on a, the day she should have been born about. Wow. And that was yes. similar for you, Chris? Or Yeah, similar, very similar. It was 11 weeks early, Callum, and he was in for about eight or nine weeks. And it was, I think it was the, it's just the fear of you leave this environment in the hospital, which you're desperate to get out of. Like you're counting down, yeah. when, when can we leave? When can we leave? And then you leave. And then it's like, are you sure we can leave? Is this okay? Because you, you don't have the machines with the oxygen no. saturation levels. You don't have the heart rate. You don't have everything telling you that it's okay. nursing staff yeah. who let these children 
sleep on their bellies. And then when you bring them home, you're not allowed to let them and the babies are going, no. Yeah. I don't sleep like this. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> what magical places they are, Matt. They're really, mm. they're, they're, uh, Isabel was in St. Mary's, which is in Manchester. It's been knocked down now. It's replaced by a, a newer hospital. But these neonatal wards, they're these magical places. And, and you'd think they'd be dead quiet, wouldn't you? But they're noisy. <laughs> Often of, there might be 10 kids in a room. And I don't know what it was like where you were, but Isabel had to go through a three-room stage. You start off in intensive care, then you go into another room. And it's a bit like when they're lambing, you know, you're to different beds. <laughs> and they tell you loads of things like, look at the baby, don't look at the monitor. You know, and then you'll hear yeah. a lamb going off and you'll think, oh, what's going on? There's an alarm going off. And the nurse will just casually carry on a conversation and just do something. And then they're just so dedicated to, to, to what they do. And they've got these tiny, I mean, do you remember kangaroo care? Did you do that, Chris, mm. when they, they put yeah. the baby on you, like inside your shirt to help them bond and get some warmth? And there's these idea of this little two pound, 12 ounce, little oh. thing just on your chest and that kind of to get close. Because that's the thing as well. You're not with them 24 hours a day, so you're not bonded. And, and, and it's probably more difficult for nursing mothers because obviously they need that sort of thing where you leave something that smells of you with them. Yeah. And, well, do you know what Sarah's doing? Just name away, Sarah is making an app which will you'll be able to record your voice and record bedtime stories to talk to your baby. Well, I exactly. Because yeah. I've, I've read one. I know. she's uh, She was incredibly, incredibly grateful for that. And yeah, basically, for the for the listeners, if you're still oh, listening, about, uh, <laughs> yeah, go to sleep. <laughs> Hurry up and come home. You don't go yeah. to sleep. Your mum and dad are going to get me coming around. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, yeah, it, I guess it gives a practical, there is, there's data to show that you, the, the parental voice can, yeah can calm, it can reduce the stress levels, it can reduce heart rate, it can increase oxygen saturation levels, but also for the parent to feel like there's something you can do. I don't like hospitals anyway. I fight, I don't, I get a bit on edge with them because you stood around doing nothing and I always feel a bit mm. embarrassed because everyone around you is busy and qualified and next, you know, and you're just helpless. I remember they used to say, push that thing there on the syringe and the food would go up a nose, mm. like a tiny two and a half mils of formula. They go, you just fed your baby. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant and then the hard brilliant. work comes when they come home and she's she's hopefully making my tea as we speak so that's, uh, that's so there's, few, there's, there's hope at the end of it there Chris they start to pay off eventually don't they yeah, yeah. and in terms of your going back to sport yeah. if you could have been involved in any sport you could have taken part in anything if you you had a choice of any sport to be a professional in what would you have gone for well I look at it now and I think probably so from a lifestyle point of view, not for a financial point of view, because money's not everything, is it? I think cricket and golf, they're the ones. Mm. You play in the sunshine, you stay in nice hotels. I mean, cricket, what a sport that is. You know, you're having sandwiches after <laughs> the game. You know? Yeah, good point, actually. We didn't yeah. get sandwiches halfway through a race. No, mm. you're having a great no. time. So I like that. I mean, football, it, it, the levels, the marks are different in football between the very good players at your school and you. Uh, the, 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 the chasm is huge, isn't it? And then, you know, you're lucky from your school, one or two kids makes it. Alan Wright, do you remember that guy who played for Villa and he played for Blackburn Rovers and Blackpool? He was Kenny Daglish's first signing. He went to our school mm. a couple of years younger than us. And we used to play football with Lee Martin, who scored in the cup final as well. So you see these players and they were just so much better. We, I played at Old Trafford once in a charity game 
with with Jason. Jason was in the team as well, and it was Man United supporters versus supporters of other teams interspersed with some players. I remember Jason was playing for the obviously against Man United, and uh, he went in the first thirty seconds. He went fifty fifty with a yap stam, and I think he's still sore now. <laughs> he just, he just on him. And I, I mean, I only played for a few minutes. I had my glasses on and everything and the watch on. But I scored a penalty at Old Trafford and that was brilliant. It was so good. Are you much of a footballer then? Did you play from being a kid and stuff like that? You, you still touched on it before. Yeah, I played a little bit as a kid. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't like, um, I wasn't very good. I, I, I'm loath to say this now because I think it's unfair. But I don't think my parents pushed me sport ways. I regret that, really. Mm-hmm. My boy played football and my daughter played football as well. She played for Stockport County and goals for a bit. And and, and I I would just go anywhere with them. You know, if they wanted to do sport, I'd just go anywhere with them. Like I put my son in the car, I'd drive back from London doing some gigs and I'd get back Sunday morning at the after clocks, get in a car. You know, if my kid's saying to me they want to play football, I'll take them anywhere. They could do anything. They want to go for a run, I'll take them anywhere. They want to play tennis. Take him away, go skating, they'll do anything. Anything that they want to do that that's sort of like sporty, you know, I'd, I'd always encourage that. My daughter, my daughter played in goals for Stockport County. And the problem was that the team was so good, she never touched the ball. <laughs> 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 she just stood in these goals in Hermsen and in the rain for like oh. week after week after week. But she liked training. Training was good and everything. I think sport for kids is, it teaches them so much about and people often quote discipline and all. I don't think sport is discipline. I think you learn your own discipline. If your teachers might give you, your school might help you with it, and parents. But I think discipline comes from within. I think what t I think what sport te- tells you is collective responsibility. We've already touched on that before. But the idea that you know, if you don't turn up, you're letting people down. That's yeah. why you said to my son, if he was like, oh, I go, if you don't go, you're letting people down. They've all made the effort. And you know, it work, It works on all levels. Even if you're arranging to meet a friend at the gym to go yeah. and do a session, if you just if it's just you on your own and you say, "I'm going to go to the gym tomorrow," at some point when I've got the time, I'll do this in the morning first, and I'll head down. Inevitably, other things happen, and and life gets in the way, and then it, you get to the afternoon, you think, oh, "I can't be bothered now." Yeah. But if you say, "I'm going to meet you at seven a.m. or eight a.m. at the gym," you both wake up probably thinking, oh, I can't be bothered here. But you both, you do it anyway. And yeah. it's, you're right. You, you, yeah. you don't want to let them down and they don't want to let you down. And it's, yeah, you're absolutely right, actually. It's yeah. the, the collective I do responsibility. Wish, I do wish that I'd, I'd taken part in more team sports as a kid. I do wish that I had, because I see a lot of my friends who've, who've got friends for life that have, have, have grown up together playing sport. And I've been playing football at school. I mean, played out a lot when I was a kid and, you know, we're always playing football, always out till all hours doing playing cricket and things like that. But um, I do, I do wish I'd, I'd taken part more in that. But I mean, those, you know, I could do walking football now, can't I? I suppose yeah. I could join a team. The other, the next step as well with the team sport. So I played cricket. So I've bored Chris with this before. Played for this team called Bushwhackers. Just made up some dads from the school. Um, but now my 14 year old is of an age where he's been asked to come and join and play a game. He hasn't done it yet, but the idea that the two of us can play in the in the team together. I'm excited by, and I think he is too, you know, most time, I'm probably just embarrassing. He he said to me, he said, yeah, I just want to see how rubbish you guys really are, which yeah. is uh, his warm-up. Oh, <laughs> warm-up <chat. so> sweet. <laughs> uh, Ted Robbins, who was uh, Dem Perry in Phoenix Knights, he, he's a rugby player and uh, he played rugby for his local side with his son. And he said, after that, I'm done. 
I just managed to get a game with my son, and that was it. Oh, it's amazing. Even even just like for me, going out for a ride with my kids. Not yeah. you know they're just five and eight, but just going out for a, I don't mean a ride like a trainer. Just going out and playing on the bikes. It's it's a wonderful to see, and to be able to share in, in something that you both equally enjoy. Um, because mm. normally your your kids are doing something, and you've got to, you know, you're not a massive fan of watching a Disney film or whatever it is they're doing, but you'll do it with them. But cycling, it's it's one of these, or sport is one of these things you can do together that that, they, that everybody enjoys together. Yeah, I used to go boxing when I was a kid. Oh, wow. I used to go, my mate's dad used to run a boxing gym. And um, it was, uh, do you remember, I don't know, if you there was a company in Denton in Manchester called Oldham's Batteries. And uh, their catchphrase was, I told them Oldham, <laughs> uh, the famous battery car batteries, you know, and they had a they had a boxing club there. It was Olden Batteries ABC Amateur Boxing Club, and we used to go on a on a Tuesday and a Thursday, and it was circuit training essentially, and it was really good because I I've always been a little bit podgy, and it was good really. You go and sweat for a couple of nights and uh, skip in, and boxing training is really good, really good training, isn't it? It's a lot of it's mm. it stuff, isn't it? Really, and doing all that and shadow boxing and punching a bag and. I loved it. I loved going. And this was the time when the Rocky films were out as well. So it was kind of exciting to be like, mm. then one week, the next week I went to the gym and there was a big list of names on the wall. And my name was on there next to somebody else's name. And I said, what's that? They said, oh, that's, uh, we're fighting next week in Liverpool. That's who you're fighting against. I never went again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. It's the same as my little boy. He, we went to Taekwondo for about a year and it's all this sort of hopping about. And yeah, yeah. Air kicks and air punches, and then it was like the the guy who ran it, amazing guy. Um, you know, where there's a there's a competition against another club, local club. If, if you want to do it, do you want to do that, Cal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's not he's not a massively you know he, he doesn't throw himself at things. And we, he said, yeah, and we thought, oh, fantastic. So that's that's good. He's showing an interest. Signed him up. He had no idea what was going on. He came oh. in, and it was this dawning realization of. Oh my goodness! This is going to hit me. This is not the dancing around and sort of <laughs> kicking randomly in the in the air. This is that kid yeah. over there that's about a foot taller than me. He's he wants to knock my head off. Yeah, it's okay, son. Put a head guard on. You'll be fine, won't you? Go. <laughs> he didn't go back. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but it's, there's a lot of sports you can do just purely for the the fun of it and for the exercise you get. You don't have to compete. You can you can compete against yourself. You can have your own yeah. personal best. I think cycling is good for that. But there's lots of sports like that that you can. Just do purely for the exercise. It's good, very yeah. measurable, isn't it? You can you can yeah. down the weights and everything else. I've always wanted to have a go at the uh, at the track, the, the velodrome. I've always wanted to have a go at that. Never anytime, oh, anytime, mate. That. And I went. I did an event. I think you might have been there. I did an event once where they did the corporate guys were doing it, and we hosted the thing in the middle. And it's incredible. It's why what, what an amazing thing. If you've never been in, you you must be used to them. But to be in there for the steepness of the bank and the smell of the wood and the it was so great. Oh, I, lo I love velodromes. I mean, Matt's been in many over the years. Yeah. So Matt, Matt, you know, as a sports journalist, has interviewed me after races you know, during my career. But yeah, you've been to many tracks, haven't you, Matt? I remember the first time, I can't remember where it was, but going to a velodrome for the first time and standing in the middle and just, I can't remember what races were going around, just everything. Just It was just incredible to be immersed in that. Yeah. It would be a Madison or suddenly there was a sprint or the 1K or whatever it was. And all of that stuff was just incredible. I was absolutely hooked straight away. And the noise and... It's the, it is it's noises you've never heard before. That's always good about a sport. When you go to a sport for the yeah. first time, noise... Because I, I went to watch basketball in um, Malaga. I got some friends who live in Malaga and went out there. And uh, basketball's huge there. And the team are really good. And just the squeak 
<laughs> the sh- shoes on the court. That's just everything about it. And the, just sport. And when, when you're so, sports like that where you're so close to it because you're not, mm. I went to watch tennis at uh, Didsbury when it's like a, a pre-Wimbledon kind of tournament. And the speed of it, you're just like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. It's funny you should say that. This the sound I, when I saw tennis live for the first time. It was the sound of the rackets moving through the air and the yep. impact as he hit the ball. <laughs> that noise, and then this—it's the power. It's so like you you watch on TV and it looks quite you know traditional, you know Wimbledon, Auburn and white. It's all very nice and very yeah. sedate, and it's not at all. It's it's absolutely brutal. The speed and the force with which which they hit the ball and when they're serving, and the accuracy. It's I think any sport you see live. You Definitely. get a whole different different appreciation of it. It's incredible when you see it live. At school for a little bit, we used to play lacrosse. And really? Yeah, not a sport you see uh, very often. And I often think, oh, I'd like to have a game of that now with just friends. <laughs> you know, just, just to have a go at it. Because it's a funny game how no one really plays it amateurish. You play it a bit, I don't know why it's popular around so in certain areas of Manchester, it's quite popular. It's kind of a popular, popular sport. They play it on cricket pitches, don't they, in the winter? I didn't know that. Yeah, they play it. On, yeah, they, that's what they do here. Because, you know, in um, Australia, I've been to watch um, Australian Rules football when I've been out there, and they play on cricket pitches. Yeah. That game was invented for cricket players to keep fit in the winter. I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's why they have six ah. in, that, in the in the... And the team's made up of a cricket squad, like 11 plus 7 or whatever. So it is. Yeah, I, I went to watch uh, a match in Subiaco Oval in Perth many years ago. It was a pre-season friendly, friendly inverted commas, because they yeah. were absolutely, you know, brutal. It's, a, it's such an impressive sport to watch. And, and because the pitch is so big, they've got to run so much. It's like, I mean... Talking about fitness and, and yeah, yeah. conditioning, okay. unbelievable. But I'm yeah, a that's now that's who I am. Melbourne Demons, they were my oh, team. Yeah. Ah. First, team, first team that I saw. I just picked them. I've seen Melbourne Demons play at the MCG against I think Collingwood. Yeah, well, I, I've seen them play at the MCG a couple yeah, of times. That's great. I went, went with Tim Vine and Al Murray and a load of communities oh. out there for the festival. It was it was great. Took me a picture next to Dennis Lilly's statue. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I love Melbourne. Absolutely love Melbourne. Beautiful, isn't it? I could live there. That's one of the few places in the world I've moved to. It's just so far away from family and everything else. I mean, I would take my family with me. Yeah. I'm not saying <laughs> You're immediate. I'm not, yes. My relatives, I mean. What I loved about going to, to the MCG and also I went to, um, you know, we started doing this podcast talking about sport and I thought, I haven't really got a lot to talk about sport. And then you think, I realised I, I went to watch uh, baseball at, uh, in San Francisco and wow. didn't understand it at all, the game. Don't, you know, I still don't understand it, but I love the spectacle. But I love the offering. That's what they call it now in sport, don't they? For the fans, the offering, the kind of facilities, the food and drink and the way you are looked after compared to these football stadiums where you, you spend a fortune. Mm. I mean, cricket's still, it's not as good, but it's, it's better than it used to be. But you forget that we're, you know, we're punters and, you know, we, we, we need to be looked after. Mm. And, and it's you entertainment. Can walk, you can walk right around the ground at, uh, in San Francisco and it's the it's the ground where they not try and knock the ball into the water because the the river's next to it. Oh, cool. And you can you can walk the inside the ground. You can walk the full loop. So, you know, you, there's a, a vegan Californian wine stall there. There's a <laughs> there's, there's there's shrimp there. There's also it's just brilliant. It's so was 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 that was that the one where or maybe it was a different stadium where it was going to be someone's famous home run and they were all in boats in the water. Yes, wait, waiting to catch catch yeah. the ball when it came out of the stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It's amazing. It That's is amazing. Cool. Yeah, I mean, those experiences, they're, 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 they're kind of like, for me, when I go on holiday now, that's what I'd like to, I'd like to do. My dream is to follow the Tour de France, do that one summer. I'd like to do the Ashes in Australia or India. I'd like to follow the cricket team in India as well. And I'd love to, I'd love to do the, in one year when I retire, when I've got enough money, I'd love to do the sort of Melbourne, London, New York and Paris for the tennis in one year. I'd love to do the Grand Slam. That'd be great, wouldn't it? That would be cool. And if you, if you, I guess you wouldn't have seen the, the um, sumo wrestling when you were in Tokyo, because it wasn't on for public, was it? So I went, I went in 2005. Oh my God. It's, I'm talking about unusual sports that you've not, you don't follow, but you just turn up to see the spectacle. That was unbelievable. In a classic Japanese style, all these traditions, all this stuff that you just, it's magical. It's absolutely incredible. And it's rammed, like, you know, there's not a spare seat. You're wedged in there and the atmosphere and they all know exactly what's going on. And you've got no clue what's going on, but these two oh. massive guys, and how fast they move as well. You think they're, you know, six foot whatever and, and six yeah. foot wide as well. The speed, as soon as they start fighting, it's just, it's incredible to watch. It reminded me of like, like two, like the antelope, don't they? Or, or, or stags where they go up against each other like that. And the, the, yeah. And the power's all in the top, isn't it? And they're trying oh, Well, it's, the, yeah, it's rooted from the, so they've got this, this strength from the waist down, from the, mm -hmm. the squats and the glutes and the legs. That's their kind of foundation. But you're right, it's all... And it's the, the tactics that they can get under and get under their opponent to lift them up. And then that's how they can push them back out of the, the rope circle. But you, you get folks sitting that pay, I don't know how much money to be in the front row. Squashed. Right up there. And they get like, yeah, you imagine this absolute giant of a, of a human being landing on top of you. There's got to be some sort of insurance um, nightmares going on there. But yeah, that was a that was a really cool one to go and see. But I guess during, you were there for the Olympics, weren't you? But there was none of that going on. Uh, no, no, we, we were kind of confined to barracks in, in, yeah. in many ways. Uh, but I've been to Tokyo two or three times. It's an amazing city, isn't it? It's mm. just an amazing. Have you ever been to the Highland Games, Chris? I've been to, yeah, when I was a kid. And there's, there's a few different Highland Games they have around in different towns. Because my granny used to live up in Nairn, which is not far from Inverness. And we'd see them up there. And, and yeah, I've, I've been as a kid. Um, and it's, I don't know if you know that they have grass track racing. So they have basically track bikes fixed yeah, yeah. wheels no brakes and they race around on the grass and it's it's i've never done that one of my teammates craig mclean he used to be scottish champion on the grass and he was because he was from up in granton in spain and that was his kind of forte before he came down and rode the velodrome but it's yeah i love that i mean the highland games all that stuff the niche games yeah um, and are, the they, are they amateur um well they get paid a little bit and i think there's a there might be gambling on that as well yeah um but the caber tossing and and actually we raced in in Tasmania, at the, they call it the carnivals, um, and they have these great big tracks that go around the cricket pitches and the, the Aussie rules ovals. So big flat, sort of 500 meter tarmac tracks. And you would go and race over a new year, Christmas to new year, they have these races in all the different tracks around the area. And in the middle, they have athletics, they have sprint racing, but handicap racing. So they have, you know, an Olympian, uh, you get someone like Linford Christie would turn up and go, go off scratch. And you'd have the local guy would be off 30 meters and, you know, the rest in between. And there would be thousands of dollars on the line for the overall winner that you'd have log chopping these massive guys who are like household names. <laughs> and they've got like the, this massive big log. They've got this, how fast they can chop through the log. They've got the ones where they, they put the, they've got a great big tree or, you know, a, a, a big trunk of a tree. And they, they're going to put steps in it. And so they, they chop away, they stick a step in it, they stand in it. And then they go up the next level, stick a step in that. And they basically walk their way up this huge, big wooden pole 
and it's the first to get to the top. It's just bizarre sports that you or games or sports you'd never even heard of. And everybody knows all about it and they're all excited by it. And the place is absolutely rammed, like 10,000 people watching some guy chopping a bit of wood. It's, it's amazing. I don't know, do you, I don't know if you, I'm not sure if you know uh, this guy, Matt, you may know of, of Andy Smart. He's a comedian. He, he passed away last week um, and he was, he's only 63. He was too, too young to go really. Oh. But he was an improviser. He was in the comedy store players. He was in uh, and all that sort of thing. And he was, he was probably the, the closest person I know to what you would call he lived a sporting life. So he was big at the bookies. He loved Cheltenham. He was always, he was that kind of guy, but he'd done the crest to run. Wow. The Bulls in Pamplona. Wow. Uh, every year he would take part in the Shrove Tuesday game and Nashville, <laughs> you know, the football and everything else. Amazing. So there are these, these eccentrics out there, aren't they? These people who do these, not necessarily minority sports, but sports that, you know, we, they're not on the telly. I remember Kabaddi. Do you remember Kabaddi? Oh, yes. No one really knows the rules of that. You've got to hold your breath, have you? It was massive in the 80s on Channel 4. And everybody knew about it. In fact, I remember we tried to do it at school. (laughs) So we kind of, I think you had the the fact that you were saying Kabaddi, Kabaddi, Kabaddi over and over again was showing that you weren't taking a breath in because you couldn't take a breath. If you were saying it fast enough, you weren't physically able to breathe in. And that was showing that you were holding your breath. And it was the time that you held your breath, you were allowed to be in your opponent's half. But the aim was to get through your, the, the other team and touch the other side. And if you could do that before your breath ran out, then you got a point or you won the, the frame or whatever. I don't know what, how they, they call it, but, <laughs> right. but we kind of, we did it and it ended up being like British Bulldogs, but you just shouting kabaddi as you ran past four. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it was our own version of it. But yeah, that was a cool sport. Where's that? That must still be around. There must be a... They must, must still play it where they play it. But I remember... Uh, is it trans world sport? I yeah. To, yeah. Mm-hmm. So all these sports from around the world. But I mean, previous to that, the, the sort of world of sport, when I was a kid in grandstand, they, they, you know, they didn't obviously have the exciting sports on. But I remember watching ice hockey from, you know, Bracknell. Yeah. <laughs> Live <laughs> on a Saturday afternoon. I used, to, I used to watch it. And if I sort of came in halfway through, I'd always back the, the underdog. You always want the team to come from behind and everything yeah. else. Yeah, keep it exciting. Simple sports like that are great to watch, aren't they? Yeah, I do love sport for that. And it's it, it, it's one of the things that, as it all becomes so commercialised and everything is you know becomes a commodity, it's, it's, it's nice to see sports that still exist just purely for the joy of competing or the joy of watching it. I was thinking, because you mentioned at the start, bowls. We've got a couple of bowls clubs around the corner from my house. And as I'm getting older, that becomes more tempting on a you know a summer's evening. Do you do that anymore? Or was that just the thing of your youth oh, and your family? I, or? No, it's my, it's my family. Yeah. I, I, I've never done it before. I, yeah. I've not been. But I do, I do fancy the idea. Do you, know what I'm, do you know what I'm particularly good at? And this is this genuinely, this is not me just pretending. I'm quite the, the shot with the clay pigeon. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. Um, although I'd never go hunting because I I don't eat meat. I'm I'm a vegan, but I I, I, I clay pigeon shoot. I, I first had a go with um, Fred McCauley and uh, Rory Bremner. We were doing a tour of uh, Lake District. Remember the, when there was all the floods a few years ago? We mm. did these shows to raise money for the, the, the areas that had been flooded. So we went clay pigeon shooting. And as I did it, the guy who was running the place went, oh, do you, do you shoot? And I went, no. I said, this is the first time I've ever done it. He went, nah. And I went, honestly, the first, and he went, just do it again. He went, you're a natural. He said, an absolute natural. Wow. So I was like, all right. And then the next time, time I tried it, I went with Fred, someone that was good. And then he took me up to Glen Eagles. 
uh, mm-hmm. last year during the fringe, and I I was good at, good at it again. There's part of me that thinks, should I should I take it up? Should I? <laughs> well, should why I not? <laughs> it is. Uh, there's there's obviously there's there's certain things. I mean, you, any sport you've got to practice and you've got to you know you've got to put the hours in. But there's definitely an element of physical potential, mental potential, the the requirements of that sport. Some people just seem to pick things up much faster than others. And shooting, yeah, it's. It's not something I've tried it once at a clay, clay pigeon shooting once um, at a charity event, and it was great fun. Yeah, I was really at it. But the feeling oh. when you when you when you actually get I only got them every now and again, but when it, when you get one, it explodes. Yeah, it's just like wow. It's I, mean, I, I, I normally just catch, years. I just catch a little else. corner of it. It was really unsatisfying. I was rubbish. <laughs> it's like I, I think I chipped a bit. Did anyone see a bit of dust? A bit of that, dust? <laughs> that wasn't you. That was someone else, Matt. Oh. <laughs> My mate Andre tells me this story about his dad. He was his dad was in the, I think it was like the Big and Hill Shooting Club. He lives South London, boy, and he was kind of like he was this kind of like from the sort of like rougher area of South London, but he, the Big and Hill Shooting Club drew people from everywhere. And uh, one year they got invited to Sandringham to shoot on the Queen's estate. So uh, they're all they're having a day of shooting and, and, and my mate Andre's dad's brilliant. Bang, bang, bang. He's knocking everything out of the air. Absolutely brilliant. He's, he's like going to win. And the captain of the club is this real posh, retired colonel type. Uh, this terrible, absolutely terrible. Not shot a bloody thing all day and all this sort of thing. <laughs> and then Andre says, at the end of the day, towards the end of the day, a Range Rover pulls up, a Land Rover pulls up, being driven by the Queen herself. The Queen gets out of the thing, she's got a gun with her, and she joins in a couple of times. Good shooting, boys, and all this sort of thing. And the guy is even more annoyed because he's not hitting anything. And, and Andre's dad's hitting all these things. Anyway, the next thing you know, the hooter goes off to signify the end of the shooting. And the guy has one more shot after the hooter, bang, hits something. And the Queen apparently turns to this guy and says, Two rules at Sandringham. We don't fire after the hooter and we don't shoot owls. <laughs> <laughs> no. Really? Yeah, Andre. Oh, that's oh my goodness. That's a great story. At least it wasn't a swan. Yeah. <laughs> she could have done it for that, couldn't yeah, she? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, listen, we've taken up more time than uh, we should have done. That was just amazing to chat, Justin. Thank you so much. I would ask you a question. Yeah, yeah. Chris, um, I was thinking about this guy, you know, uh, what's he called? Tom Thingy, the Ineos. uh, Tom Pitcock. Yes. Yes. Is he the new Chris Hoy? Oh, he's a... He's on the track. He's, well, he, no, he's, he'll always be, I mean, he's a multi-discipline. Yeah, yeah, a bit like yourself, because you started on the BMX, didn't you? Yeah. Well, he's, I mean, he literally is an absolute phenomenon. His, his challenge now is how, where does he focus challenges? Where does he channel his focus? Um, I think you'll be a Grand Tour winner. I think you'll win the Tour de France yep. um, and or the Giro and the Vuelta de España. But he's, as you know, mountain bike world champion or mountain bike Olympic champion, yeah, world yeah. champion, cyclocross world champion. That's what I'm thinking. And, and he's only 22. He's, he's too small. He's 56 kilos. So he's right. a tiny little guy who has power to weight is incredible. He would, t- t- even to do the longest events in the track, like the Madison, he would have to gain at least 10 kilos. It's not possible, but I think his... Well, if he needs any help in that direction... <laughs> <laughs> I'll get him round to mine and give him some barbecue. But yeah, yeah he's... Him, he's, uh, he's a... Tokyo, he's... he's Did a... you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was a focus guy. The cycling... The BMX kids were amazing. Yeah. Oh. They were the ones. They were yeah. beautiful. They were so good. 
And what's what's nice is that British Cycling now they're they're getting success mountain biking, road road cycling, the BMX racing, BMX park, freestyle park. It's yeah. it's really there, there's strength and depth. Yeah. The um, what's interesting about where I live in South Manchester is it's just like you'd be driving your car down the the the, the high street, Chile, and suddenly you see half of the British Cycling team in front of you. Mm. It's just amazing the fact that they're everywhere, aren't they? Everywhere. Yeah, yeah, a lot of them live in Cheadle actually, so they'll yeah. commute into the velodrome. It's the it's the yeah. mecca mecca for British cycling. That's it for all these big names. Yeah, it's just great. It's just that sort of inordinate pride of uh, you know when you see British cycling. It's such a nice feeling. <laughs> it feels like it's a Manchester thing. It, it's really it's really good, and you know, get off the really- roads, pay your road tax. Bloody cyclists. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing about roads. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the number of times I've told people that. Yeah, gee whiz. Yeah. The one anyway. thing about I cycle a bit as much as I can now because I've got a bike, Chris, as you know. Good man. And, yeah. um, got two now. I bought another one. Bought a bit of oh, a yeah. yeah, it was too heavy. And um, I, I use my bike occasionally, and I, and I go out on the road, and you, you get into these arguments with people, and I think, well, I just get out of the way, me. I don't. I don't. C- Jeremy Vine, I think he goes looking for trouble. <laughs> he loves it. He loves it. <laughs> You'd never yeah. beep a horse, would you? <laughs> yeah. When people see yeah. horses, they give them a wide yeah. berth, don't they? That's so true. And nobody ever shouts at a horse, hey, Dobbin, you're not paying any road tax. <laughs> Isn't it? It's the same argument. It's, yeah. and, and the number of times I've, friends of mine, and I've said, well, uh, tell me the number of uh, lorry drivers that have been killed by cyclists. And it's just very few, isn't it? You know, if none. <laughs> you know, this idea of, why do they have to go two by, why do they have to go two abreast? Because it's safer. It's you know? in the highway code as well. Yeah. 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 Why Why do they have to drive in the middle of the road? Well, why don't you walk in the gutter yourself anyway? Yeah. Yeah. You know the arguments I'm preaching. I'm glad, glad to see you're flying the flag for the cyclists. Good man. Try my best. Anyway, Good man. Nice to see you all. And, it's uh, brilliant to chat. Thank you so much. And uh, I right. hope to see you in person sometime yeah. soon, mate. Well, I'll see you soon for uh, for a re- re- yeah. in the favour. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. Even, even more favours we're asking. <laughs> We'll get you back for the app as well. Cheers, mate. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks very Justin. Much. Cheers. Bye, bye, bye. Bye.